Hello and welcome to this week's Renwick Centre podcast. My name is Trudy Smith and I'm the Manager of Continuing Education at the RIDBC Renwick Centre. We're continuing our focus this week on careers for people with hearing loss and so delighted to have a colleague with us, Simone Punch. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hello, my name's Simone and um, I've been severe to profoundly deaf since birth and I've used hearing aids since I was about 20 months old. I'm the only deaf person in my family. I am an audiologist and I also lecture for the Rennick Centre as well. Thanks, Simone. So when you were in high school, did you always want to be an audiologist? And I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what you wanted to do in high school and advice that you had from teachers and family and friends. Uh, Funnily enough, I didn't always want to be an audiologist. I actually thought it was quite a boring job when I used to go to my appointments. Um, but it wasn't until I completed three years of uni that I decided to do audiology. But um, early on at high school, uh, I was quite scared about the idea of going out into the workforce. I never had a part-time job because I didn't have a lot of confidence about dealing with people I didn't know. And I was really scared of the idea of trying to hear in many of the typical jobs that teens my age had, like retail and hospitality. So I had real trouble envisioning myself coping in a workplace, let alone being able to decide what I wanted to do. Um, but luckily, my mum and dad were great role models and mentors to me. Um, my mum was actually studying at university when I was in high school, and she had some psychology textbooks lying around for a subject she was doing. And I picked them up and I was fascinated by them. So I decided eventually that I wanted to go to uni like my mum and be a psychologist. So that was the first stage of my career aspirations. Um, but in terms of uh, advice and support at school, um, I think there was a lot of low expectations still around what um, deaf people could do. And I was given some quite discouraging advice from teachers and careers counsellors. And to be fair, I was in a mainstream setting and they didn't have much experience with deaf or hard of hearing students or adults. But right from primary school, teachers would say things to me like, you should work in a library so that you don't have to talk to anyone. And I was a social kid, so this was quite horrifying to think of having a job where I didn't interact with people, uh, even if I did love books. And um, then I also had a compulsory careers counselling session with the school guidance counsellor. And um, I'll never forget that because I turned up to the session and she said, most kids aren't good, most deaf kids aren't good academically, so it will be a better idea for you to get a trade. And oh my yeah, it was quite uh, surprising to me. I was quite taken aback at that. And she was all prepared with this suitable option that she thought was right for me. And uh, she wanted me to go to the TAFE down the road from my school and drop out of my academic subjects and do that. Uh, yeah, so I was pretty shocked by that. And, but luckily I kind of managed to get out, but I want to go to uni and study psychology. Um, don't I have good enough grades to get into uni? And uh, she finally had a look at my grades and admitted, yes, I was on track for that. So looking back at that, she made some assumptions about my abilities uh, without looking at what I could do. And she really tried to push me into a career that was very unsuited to me. I just can't, I mean, hospitality can be a fantastic career, but for, for me, the idea of trying to hear people and take orders in noisy restaurants and bars were just like my worst nightmare. Um, so I was really lucky. I had already had those in-depth conversations with my parents about what I wanted to do or what I needed to do to get there. And I think I was a little bit stubborn too, which I think helped a bit. I, I went, oh, that's, 
yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I want to do. So, um, you know, but not everybody has that kind of support that I did. So I was quite lucky. Yeah, the, your ability to be able to ignore that the pressure to lower your own personal expectations of what you could do is, yeah, extraordinary. And you still hear these stories and it still takes your breath away that people think yep. that's a, that without even looking at your grades, they could make that assumption about your ongoing life and achievements. Yeah. Quite, quite scary. So talk to us about your, your decision to become an audiologist. Were there barriers and challenges at university in the workplace? Um, yeah, so when I went to study, I um, immediately came up against some quite different challenges from the ones I had at school. All of a sudden, I was in these huge lecture theatres and trying to listen and take notes at the same time. Uh, and I realised no, that wasn't going to work very well. I could cope, but it was going to be really hard. So I went to request support. And at the time, I didn't think that it was something that was that I should do or that I really um, you know, wanted to do, but I sort of reluctantly went in and said, you know, what can I get in terms of support? And I think most universities now have a lot better support uh, compared to back then. But at the time, th this was my experience. And I was literally told, uh, we never had a deaf or hard of hearing student come to the unit for help. So you tell us what you want and we'll see if we can make it happen. And so I had to, for myself, think of all these, what supports I could get. So all I knew about was note-taking, so I asked for a note-taker. And I even had to suggest how that would operate, how students would be recruited, um, how they would be put in contact with me, how they would hand notes over. And so that was a lot of work for me to do. And then I also I then transferred to a larger, better-funded university but went through pretty much the exact same process. Uh, and the whole system was full of problems all the way through my uni study with... Um, you know, the uni is not wanting to pay note takers and relying then on volunteers, fellow students who um, they didn't always check if they could even write legible notes or decent <laughs> notes. And um, yeah, and, and people weren't handing in notes on time. So there was a lot of challenges and there was a lot of extra work I had to do to, to fill in the gaps. Um, yeah, so that was a, a big challenge at uni. And also the there was some discrimination from my lecturers, both in my undergrad degree and even some sadly a bit of unconscious bias from even audiology lecturers in the profession and again to be fair you know none of them had really had experience with a deaf or hard of hearing student um, but one of the things I had to do with my lecturers was actually start approaching them directly for notes because I kind of gave up on the note taker system it was so mm. poor and I would ask them if they could actually share their notes with me and I would have to go up and approach them and explain about my deafness and ask them for those accommodations, which was quite hard in itself. Uh, and then I remember one psychology lecturer said, well, you, shan't, you shouldn't be in my class if you can't take your own notes. And, um, you know, that really upset me, but I actually became quite determined to stay in his class and prove him wrong and pass the class. And, um, but it was just amazing to me that, you know, lecturers at a well-respected university could go around saying things like that to disabled students and, you know, get away with it. You know, I actually went to student services and said, can they say these kinds of things? And they said, oh, we can't do anything about that. Um, so that was quite distressing. But I think things have improved significantly since that time because that was my undergrad degree a long time ago. But it still really kind of, um, you know, shaped my decisions that I made. And I kind of went, oh, I don't think I want to do psychology anymore. And yeah. I was actually 
looking around for what else I could do that was still in a helping profession. And um, I actually were talking to one of my best friends at the time and saying, I'd love to use my own personal experience a bit, but I don't know how. And she said, you should do audiology. <laughs> and I sort of was quite amazed by that because it had been right in front of my eyes the whole time. And um, yeah, but I looked into it and uh, started doing the degree and loved it and went, I think this is what I want to do in life. That's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing that you, you know, that, um, that these barriers still come up. Like it just blows my mind, I guess, as well, that even in audiology, there's bias as yeah. well. Um, have, has it happened in any of your other ongoing study that you've, you've come up against these kinds of barriers? I know that um, you're, consider, you're doing an online master's in public health management. I wonder if, has anything yeah. changed? Uh, I think a lot has changed. I mean, I think about, you know, when I was doing that postgrad degree in audiology, um, you know, I, even there, I still had lecturers saying things to me like, um, you know, um, I don't think I should give you the notes for the class because it would be an unfair advantage over the rest of the class. And uh, that was kind of the attitude. And I, you know, they thought it would be unfair to all the hearing students if I had notes and they didn't. And I really wished I'd had the advocacy skills at the time to say, do you really think it's fair that they can listen and take notes at the same time? And I can't. Uh, so his solution was to give everyone in yeah. the class the notes. That's and, a great solution. Yeah. But at the same time, for me, that was a struggle because I went, well, I'm not on a level playing field. I never was. And so giving me the notes would maybe help me get there, but then giving everyone the notes. And then the other students were like, great, we don't have to go to class anymore because we've got all the notes. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was kind of a challenge to have that kind of attitude. And I think um, a lot of people didn't take me that seriously. I think when you're, um, when you, when you're old and you pass really well, it's, um, there's a degree of scepticism from lecturers and teachers sometimes when you ask for accommodations. Yeah. And so the irony is you get better at advocacy but, and you get more fluent about asking for things and more assertive and yet they go, oh, well, you're coping very well. And um, so, yeah, there was often a lot of scepticism about whether I really needed notes or whether I really needed support. But I went back to uni recently and they were very keen to encourage me to, to apply to disability support uh, and enrol in the disability support unit. And um, this postgraduate degree that I just did a master's in public health management, um, it was online. And that was a revelation for me because, you know, the lectures were recorded and they were recorded in small, quiet rooms with great microphones. So the sound quality was much better and... Um, uh, I could pause the recordings when I needed to to take a break or replay back things that I missed and the tutorials and class discussions were all online as well and so it was just fantastic to have that visual access to forums and I realise now how much I really missed in group tutorials in in-person studies and how you know we got graded on our participation in the tutorial groups and I always lost marks and, and even though I knew a lot of it was about me not hearing, I still blamed myself. I still felt like it was partly due to the quality of my discussions or um, my intelligence. And so, you know, you still have that in the back of your brain a lot of the time, that self-doubt. 
um, yeah, but this time around it was actually so much better and I actually kind of quite nervously enjoyed studying and <laughs> um, I managed to juggle both work and studying this time and got a distinction average, which I don't think I would have ever been able to do in the past. And um, But I'm still terrible at meeting assignment deadlines. <laughs> There are some things that are just personality, I think, that don't have anything to do with the disability. Um, so I'm curious uh, procrastination, about... Procrastination is universal. <laughs> We're all a little bit guilty of that. So, so tell me about now that you're an audiology professional, what are you, what are you seeing in the field? Um, I think, you know, we've, we've come ahead in leaps and bounds in terms of inclusion and understanding, and it's just fantastic. Um, I've been a specialist audiologist now for over 20 years, and I've worked in Australia and overseas, and I'm currently in a role where I do a lot of training and quality management for our audiology services at Hearing Australia. And um, yeah, I've had, I've, I think uh, my ability to advocate, but also inclusion has improved so much. And I've been able to achieve some things I'm quite proud of. I've had some career highs, like uh, working overseas and contributing to the development of some of our paediatric audiology protocols and publishing a paper with now our research arm and doing some volunteer audiology work overseas and being able to teach at master's level for the Rennick Centre in Macquarie Uni that's also been another highlight for me um, but it's still tricky sometimes you know um, still quite tricky to navigate and there's still a lot of unconscious bias about deaf and hard of hearing people's abilities and um, there's often a perception that it's solely up to us to overcome any barriers and, you know, it's all our responsibility uh, as much as uh, audiologists and hearing care professionals know about those barriers. There's still that bit of expectation that it's all on you. Uh, so that's challenging. And um, it's, I think a lot of people are tackling bias, but there's still some unconscious bias out there about what deaf and hard of hearing people can do. And I remember, again, very vividly being asked by a more experienced uh, older audiologist who has not, has since retired, but she said, what do you want to do in the future? And I said, oh, I was secretly hoping to be a paediatric specialist. I thought they were amazing. And I really wanted to give back to kids in the same way that I'd received in terms of support. Um, and that would have been fantastic. And I said, oh, I think I'd like to be a paediatric audiologist. And she said, mm, I don't think you should do that. I don't think parents of deaf children want a hearing impaired audiologist. Um, and she sort of implied that it would be too upsetting for parents to have to deal with a deaf person and that their parents would not have faith that I could do the job. Uh, and I thought she obviously doesn't think I could do it either. So, yeah, that was really devastating. Must have been. Yeah. And um, I think luckily, though, I think that stubbornness kicked in a bit. I think it's a great trait for deaf and hard of hearing people to have. <laughs> and I thought, I'll go and talk to a few more people. And um, I sought some opinions from other experienced audiologists and they were wonderful in saying, you know, that's rubbish and you'll be a great paediatric audiologist and that your lived experiences will really add value to the job. And they had a lot of faith in me. So it's wonderful to have those allies. And, um, you know, um, I've had some wonderful colleagues along the way who've really invested that time and energy in helping to reduce barriers in our field for deaf and hard of hearing uh, professionals and for all of, of our diverse staff, which is really fabulous. Yeah, I think there's such value in having deaf and hard of hearing leaders and service providers because I think part of why we're doing this series is so that you can't be what you haven't seen. And yeah. by families meeting a deaf audiologist, 
that's a profession they probably never thought of for their child, but all of a sudden they're seeing this successful person who's deaf and hard of hearing. Surely that has to be exciting for them rather than a concern. I just think there's such power in, um, in, in, in showing them Thank you. what their child yeah. could be. You know, we, I think we need we have a long way to go to try and to incorporate and have more deaf and hard of hearing leaders and service oh. providers with working with our families. I think that will really smooth the journey for families. Yeah, oh, I would love that. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's so important to have people with lived experience, and um, I think it really creates a, a mutual sense of respect and trust. And I think that really helps you move on with the support. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Final question. We're asking all of you this question. So if you could talk to that little teenager again in high school, that young Simone who just came out of that meeting with that awful careers counsellor or anyone that was even thinking about audiology as a profession, what advice do you have for them? Uh, well, um, you know, I think one of my things would be to um, seek out support and get lots of um, talk to lots of different people um, because you know some people only have one very narrow viewpoint of what you can do and I think that's something that was really important to me that I was a little bit stubborn and that I had some great mentors and supports and um, you know uh, you know in the end I realized that you know audiology is actually quite a great profession for deaf and hard of hearing people because you're often communicating in quite ideal circumstances we talk one-on-one to people in nice quiet rooms and you know you have those shared and lived experiences that you can use when working with them and um, it's actually really been rewarding to be able to help reduce barriers and support other deaf and hard of hearing people and so yeah and then um, I think uh, I would say though that you seek out all the support you can you know I was very reluctant at uni to go to disability support uh, or to admit my hearing loss to people and so I think um, you know being able to find people you trust and disclose and get that support and enroll in those supports but also um, talk to your audiologist because we love to know what your hopes and dreams are and it's our job to help you reduce those barriers that you think might stop you in your studies or your career Um, and there may be supports you don't know about that they can offer you or put you in touch with that can make a huge difference. Um, yeah, because I agree with you. I think um, we need more deaf and hard of hearing professionals and particularly I would love to see more deaf and hard of hearing audiologists and hearing support professionals out there And um, because I think our lived experience is so valuable and can contribute to the profession in lots of different ways. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you've, you're such a, you know, some of the things that to take home that I'm taking away is, you know, making sure that we're empowering these kids and, and you know, the importance of, learning to advocate for yourself. So you need a good social network yeah. behind you to, to really feel safe in yourself that you can ask these things, you, you know, that you felt comfortable enough to say to that counsellor, yeah, but I've got the marks for this. Yep. You know, and, and, and knowing that, that that's appropriate to be able to, to have that conversation as well, that need to be stubborn, that need to have that faith in yourself that this yeah. is what you want. And so it's, it's actually, while you have to advocate for yourself, there are expectations that people, you know, there are supports in place that you, that you are entitled to. Yeah, well. definitely. And, and that need for resilience. So Simone, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and your advice. I think it's been really powerful. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for inviting me pleasure thanks everybody we will see you next week um, for our ongoing uh, series on lived experience and career pathways please join us